I am so excited to be bringing you this episode of Grief is My Side Hustle with Cindy Spiegel. I have to tell you, by the time we got to the end of this episode, I felt like I had made a lifelong friend. I was so delighted to sit down with her book, Micro Joys, which I would encourage everyone to go out and get. And I got to tell you, it actually really surprised me. I'm not sure what I thought it was going to be, but it is this really in-depth, sort of almost memoir-style guidebook that is giving you suggestion after suggestion, hope and encouragement to allow you to do some exploration around your own grief. Cindy experienced compound loss, so much loss in such a short period of time. And honestly, she's come out the other side with some embodied personal wisdom that she shares with us. What you're going to see here is that she jumps in with humor. She is just really a delight. And I find that really lovely that when you're talking to someone who's been through a shitstorm and they can come out the other side with their joy intact. So a book called Micro Joys, you're not going to be surprised that that's part of what you're going to hear, but oh God, I just, this is one of my favorite episodes. So I want to read you a little bit about Cindy. This is her bio so that you can know who you are about to meet. Cindy Spiegel is a born storyteller turned writer. She's an aspirational voice and an igniter of powerful conversation around self-acceptance, integrity, and joy. She's a former fashion executive adjunct professor at Parsons School of Design and Fashion Institute of Technology and holds a master's in professional studies. She's also a TEDx speaker, a certified yoga and meditation teacher. Her honest storytelling, vulnerable self-inquiry, and penchant for swear words have made her a sought-after speaker for conferences, brands, and organizations. She's been featured in publications such as Forbes, Glamour, Teen Vogue, and HuffPost. She currently lives in New Jersey with her very handsome, that's her words, not mine, photographer husband, two cats, way too many patterns, and an excessive number of houseplants. She is the founder of Dear Grown-Ass Women, an inclusive and highly relatable social community for women 35 and over. She is also the author of A Year of Positive Thinking. I am delighted to bring you this episode with Cindy Spiegel. Here we go. So there is something I want you to know. Yeah. Um, and this is important. Today was the day that I decided to try on false lashes. So if my my eyes start running, it's because today is the day. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking today, but today's the day. So I feel like I should just warn you of that. So now you've been warned and we can carry on. Is that not what you meant? Okay, well now, now. I thought you were going to be like, today is the day that I decided about cancer treatment or today is the day I learned about whatever. Just about my lashes. Just my lashes. Again, that that belly laugh for me was like (laughs) transformative, right? Like that. Oh God, that was so good. Okay. Well, we will make all accommodations needed for lashes. Thank you you very much. Okay. Important things. The important things. Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. I am your host, Megan Reardon Jarvis, and you can already hear the smiling in my voice because I have just had a second with our guest today, Cindy Spiegel, and I've already had one unbelievably hearty belly laugh. So you are in for the goods, folks. Cindy is here to talk to us. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. What a joy this is already. And we haven't even gotten started. I know. I already told you, I am really fired up to talk about this book. And I have been, as I always am with my guests, slightly stalking you on the internet. (laughs) And so I know, I know that you already are in the throes of receiving from people all this positive energy about not only what the book is about, but how it's written and the structure of how it's written and how you've made hard topics palatable. I want to start with a question that I ask everybody, which is what brings you into the world of grief and loss? Oh, 2020. 2020 brings me into the world of grief and loss. In a 10-month period of time, uh, my 32-year-old nephew was murdered in May of 2020. Four months later, in September, my mother, my beloved mama, uh, passed away unexpectedly. Within a month of my mother's passing, my 48-year-old brother, 48 at the time, had a stroke and then went into cardiac arrest and spent the next 10 weeks in the cardiac ICU in the middle of a pandemic. By the grace of God, he made it home. And within a month of him coming home and starting his rehabilitation, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So all within a 10-month period of time, it was 2020 going into 2021. um, And I would say that put me 
firmly in the middle of grief. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The thing that yeah. people often say is I could never, right. When they hear something oh, untenable, they say the thing, which is just the distancing sentence of I could never. And of course not, no one ever can. And no one who hears that story is going to be like, oh, that's, I could probably do that. That sounds fun. That all sounds like too much. And we have a phrase in the grief and loss world to tie this, which is compound loss, which I know, you know, which is just, you know, the idea of like, you're not just carrying one plate, you're carrying six plates. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting Because years before, my dad died quite a while ago, but I remember saying to my mom then, I don't know how you are taking care of him right now. I don't know how you're dealing with this. He's getting up in the middle of the night. He's walking around. He's turning the stove on. I don't know how you're dealing with this. And she said, Sin, when you have to do it, you do it. That's it. And what you're saying reminded me of that moment 16 years ago when my mom said that, and I just couldn't understand it at the time. There's a type of therapy, which I always talk about on this podcast, because it's my favorite. It's IFS therapy, internal family systems with Dick Schwartz. And essentially it's just that we have all these little aspects of our personality. Like that's just at the nugget. It's that we're not one thing. We are a constellation of things. And at any one time, one thing might be driving the bus. What I think of with compound loss and that sentence, when people say like, oh, I couldn't do it. It reminds me of being a parent where when I thought about what it was going to take to be a mom, my mind couldn't really conceive of it. Yeah. But then when I was a mom, I was just doing it. Doesn't mean I liked it. Doesn't mean it wasn't taking a toll. Doesn't mean that it came simply to me. Doesn't mean that I don't have criticism of myself, but I think of it as this part of you that has to grow right? You have to grow your capacity to be a griever That's and if you're not actively grieving. It can be nice and small. That's it. That's it. And, and how, you know, I, I almost hate what I'm about to say, but I'm gonna say it anyway, how lucky for us that we have that capacity, that we right. have that ability, right? Because it becomes this thing that you don't need to know right now, how you'd manage it. You don't need to know if it's not, if it's not your problem today, whatever it is, if it's not a challenge today, you don't need to know but trust that you do have the capacity to handle what comes your way when and if it does. Yeah. And probably don't put people who are just doing it because they have to, like they're hanging onto the side of the cliff. Cause that's where they got. Yes. Don't, don't, don't make them into mother Teresa. Yeah. That, heroes. Like, yeah. You know, we're not here for that. That's we're not just trying to live. We're just trying to live here, folks. Yeah. And what we want, because, because it can be so isolating and make you feel so nuts. We really don't need to also be put up on a pedestal. Like we're already living on the edges of where the world, we feel like we're not really a part of the planet. Um, So we don't need that either. I really want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about every chapter in your book, but you know, I want to say for anyone in the audience who doesn't already know this, I have a bunch of copies of Cindy's book. If you want one, get in touch with me. My assistant will send one to you because when we love our books, we love our books. Oh my God. But, but you do this amazing thing, which is you sort of tell us the story of your life, almost like a memoir, right? You write the stuff kind of from the beginning and you write through it. And you also slow us down and give us some, what I would say, like some coaching and encouragement Mm. along the Mm. way. Can you talk about how this book came about and how, how that format came to be? Yeah. So Interestingly enough, it was really important to me when I decided to write this book that I did not want to tell people how to grieve. You know, this is not meant to be a how-to book. So much so that I remember the, you know, the section at the end of each chapter, which says, consider this started out as try it. And halfway through the editing process, I remember reaching out to my editor and I was like, this can't say try it. I simply want this to be an offering to folks if they want to receive it. You know, Um, and then I'll go back a little bit to how the book came about. I started talking about micro joys uh, on Instagram during, you know, during the midst of all of this happening and a publisher actually reached out to me and said, Hey, is this the thing you'd be interested in writing about? And similarly to my first book where a publisher reached out to me, I couldn't think of a reason to say no, except for the (laughs) fact that I was grieving. And I was like, well, if, you know, I suppose I can put a proposal together where I am right now, which truly was only 
three or four months after my breast cancer diagnosis. So I was in it. Um, when this whole thing started, suffice it to say, that's not even the publisher I went with. Um, interesting. Oh my gosh. That's so interesting. You know, I started working with my agent and she pitched the book and by, by the wisdom of, I don't know who this book ended up going to auction with all of the big houses. So I, I went with Penguin Random House. Um, and it was just, I think something that is really clear to me today is that I could never write this book again. Yeah. I could only write this book because I was in it. So even as I go back and read the essays, which I do from time to time, I think, how was I so clear Mm. that I was in it? You know, I was in it and I was writing what came to mind. And, you know, I'm comfortable with essays. I've been writing long form on Instagram. I mean, it's disrespectful how long form I write on Instagram. You shouldn't. (laughs) Um, But that way of writing was very comfortable to me. And it's also quite conversational. It's just the way that I speak and the way that I think. So writing this book was not difficult. Um, With the help of an editor, I was able to sort of lump these essays into categories. But the book itself, I feel like those words and those stories just came through me. That's amazing. You know, we talk a lot on this podcast and I talk about it in a writing class that I, that I have called process to product, which is like writing for the sake of processing how you're feeling versus writing for product, which is more so that people can understand how you're feeling, I think. Oh, that's good. But I, but you know, you're a writer. So the idea that maybe you were writing long form posts that were really for reflections for yourself about what was working and helping and, you know, what it felt like to be you then also was something that people were like, Hey, I recognize myself or I'm interested in that. Right. Mm -hmm. That doesn't totally surprise me. And I think it's really important for people to hear out there that you can write from your pain and create something. It doesn't always have to be in trauma work. Sometimes we say, I often say, you may do better to write about the pain than from the pain because it mm. regulate you. But mm. I love hearing that yours is an example of like, no, I look back and I'm like, wow, look how sharp that was. Yeah. That was on point. You know, the thing I would add is, right. Yes, you can write from your pain, um, but you don't have to do anything. You don't have to write at all. Unless that's supportive for you, you know? That's right. Like you that's can, right. but you don't have to. Well, so I want to ask about that, but before I do, because again, if there are folks out there who haven't read the book, I want you to talk about micro joys. Tell Mm. us, um, because I think there's something about the name that can be almost like misunderstood. We're not talking about like tiny specks of joy. Yeah. Talk about what is a micro joy. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So when I say micro joy, it's not a tiny thing. Sometimes they're massive. But what they are is easily accessible moments of joy that we can experience regardless of our current circumstances. So it means that even in the midst of grief and sorrow, or even in the middle of the most ordinary of days, these are experiences that are already available to us, right? So the way the light shines in your window, I didn't create that. It just happened to happen. But what I did was I took note of it, the relationships we have. So it's really about the accessible moments, experiences, and people in front of you at any particular moment that you can always access. Yeah. What I, what struck me as I was reading, because you have this unbelievably gorgeous chapter, which I related to, I had an experience similar when I was in France of walking into like a little bodega grocery store Mm. and you're overwhelmed by all the smells and the, you know, visual and what it, what it made me think of is part of what you're inviting us to do is be in our sensory experience in this moment. Yes. Yeah. Right? At, at the pre- core of all of this, that is what it is about. It's about using our available senses to, to allow ourselves to be present. That's it. So the conversation me, is open. We're right, done. We're done. That's, that's Boom, what it mic is. Drop. <laughs> From a, from a therapeutic standpoint, like that is what we do when we're trying to pull people out of trauma. So trauma is the event that happened in the past that you already survived, but you have a five senses memory experience inside your system that can pull you like a time machine into that dysregulation of fear or anger or upset or terror. You can go back there. Your body will do it. And the tool that we use is come back into the here and now. 
And so we have these strategies like five, four, three, two, one, and, yes. and those are, you know, five things you can see, four things you can, you know, to take or take off your shoes and feel the pile of the carpet. So what, I, so I was so interested in how you use that because you're using it in this really encouraging way, not as a, Hey, we're going to send it as a life raft to you, yeah. but more as this practice. So can you tell us like, how does this practice support you in these untenable times? Yeah. So there's something about being in our body and, and I think we innately know it, even though we have to remind ourselves that, that, that simply being in our body allows us to ground in different ways. Um, so the idea of this five, four, three, two, one, and listen, call it whatever you want, yeah, whatever works. Um, what I found is that allowing teaching myself really to be present in these moments offered me respite from everything else that was happening, you know, and now I didn't know at the time what I was doing again, if I, you know, as I read this book, I'm like, shit, son, that was really clear. So I didn't recognize what I was doing, but I knew that when I allowed myself to sit in a corner in my apartment or go to a shop and be fully present, it allowed me this moment of respite where everything else fell away. Didn't bring my people back, right? It didn't bring my nephew back. It didn't bring my mom back. It didn't change my diagnosis, but it allowed me this moment to exist differently within all of that. And I say that a lot in microjoys, you know, this practice is about holding grief in one hand and joy in the other at the exact same time. And that is what deep presence does. And again, that's not a term I necessarily thought of when I was writing the book, but in hindsight and, and by having conversations like ours, it just becomes so much more clear on what I was doing. What I love so much about it is, you know, it's not a clinical book, but it's so clinical, yeah. not saying from grief theory that was written in, you know, two, 2004, you are literally saying, here's something for you to think about. Let me give you an example from my own life. And you have these intuitive tools. So ways of framing your perspective and experiences and, and things that you go to do. You have a chapter about being busy. And a lot of people talk to me with like almost shame about being busy. They know right. they should be grieving. And I think it's helpful to understand. And you sort of say it in the chapter, you are grieving. You're just yeah. also like cleaning a pot. You yes. Know, right? <laughs> You're not, not grieving. And in, and in grief theory, you know, we talk about these intuitive grievers who are going to do more stuff that looks like emotion. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. there's more of the sort of like the instructive and the constructive grieving, which is more like thinking and doing. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. actually, some people take away from that, like, oh, you can be one or the other. What your book shows is you all be of all of it, all of it, all of and it, I, that you got to be all of it. Well, and you can be all of it. And you know, and I say this, I think in the beginning of the book about like, so many of these essays are they almost feel in opposition to each other. Cause it's like, wait, you just told me to do nothing. Now you're telling me to do something. And the reason I left those in the book exactly as is, is because when you were in the middle of it, at least in my experience, you need to do whatever you can do in that moment. Right. You know, that means moving one day and not moving the next. It means being present one day and maybe just sitting under a blanket the next day, but all of it is true. It's right. not one or the other at any time. It's all of it. Well, and we get so much judgment, right? Like this yeah. is a thing that we're supposed to kick the, you know, the ass of option B and we're supposed to get through it and we're supposed to do it as fast as possible. And again, I mean, this may even seem like off topic, but you have a chapter about rest and it was making me think of the nap ministry. It was making yes. me think of, and for people who don't know that, please go follow on Instagram, but that is a political movement. Yeah. That is rest as a revolution. Mm -hmm. Your rest to me, I felt like rest is a, is a grief exercise, Re yeah. rest as a movement mm -hmm. that people are burdened by this idea that if you're not going to therapy or if you're not cleaning out the clothes, that you're not actually grieving and maybe you're not yeah. grieving right. I have a menu in my office. I talk about it a lot on this podcast, which has, a, I don't know, probably has 500 things on it that people have told me they have done during their grief. They're all ING, mm. you know, singing, planting, dancing, sleeping, crying, drinking. They're all on there. Yeah. And I hold yeah. it up and I'm like, what do you think you could do? Mm -hmm. try, try a thing. If they ah. don't instinctively have somewhere to move, 
whatever it's like those word puzzles, whatever you see first that pops out at you, let's try it. What an offering, right? What a beautiful offering. Anything. Yes. Yeah. And you'll move through it. However, you have to move through it to get to the other side of it. If you get to the other side, I don't know that you do. Life keeps happening. Um, But what a beautiful offering to have this list to say, look, you can do any of these. Just pick one, pick two, pick three. This is, this is an offering for what and if you need it, you know? Well, we're wired. We're actually wired to grieve, right? Like it's the one thing that every single human will do in their lifetime aside from die, right? Like be born, grieve, die. Yeah. And we, because we're so illiterate about mm-hmm. what it means to grieve and we have turned it into this thing that people should do in private and not talk about. And that actually it's something that you could succeed or fail at. Yeah. It makes people really self-conscious about whether or not they're even doing it. And, mm-hmm. and as a trauma therapist, what I say is like, listen, there's just wisdom in whether you're crying this week or you're, you know, building a house this week, there's no doing it wrong. And there's no, not doing it. Like even delayed grief, there's wisdom and delayed grief. Who's to say if you addressed it immediately, that that would have been the right way for you. Can you talk about how the practice? So I'm going to say it like this, but this is me. One of the things that drives me nuts is the concept of gratitude when Uh. it overlays, (laughs) right? Like that word will make me burn my hair off, but I feel like what grad, what people are trying to say is what, what micro joys are saying that micro joys are saying savor yeah. these individual moments and can't hold on to them. That's it. Like a handrail. That's it. It's like acknowledge that they are there, notice them, be with them and, and hold on as long as you need to, to them. Right. I remember very early on, I was still writing the book and I was having a conversation with a dear friend about it. And she's like, oh, it's like gratitude. And I nearly lost my shit. I was like, it is not gratitude to the point that I I literally had to call her back and say, you know what? Sorry. I clearly was holding on to this too tightly. It's whatever you want it to be. But there is something about the word. I love that you said that because the word gratitude, it's sort of like, asking me to find a silver lining. Yeah, that's right. I'm not going to find a silver lining. I don't want to find a silver lining. I need to be where I am. And if there's a day or a moment that I want to find a silver lining, just let me come to that on my own. Don't ask me to make something beautiful out of the hardest time in my life or a difficult experience. It's like, and that's why I said before, you know, about writing from our grief, if we want to, we, we can, and maybe something beautiful will come out of it. Maybe it won't, but our culture is, is such that it requires us. And it asks that we do this gratitude thing in the midst of everything, as if me finding something to be grateful for during the hardest time is going to make me feel better. It's like, no, it will make you feel better about my grief, but it will not make me feel better. And it's one of those things that I wish folks would stop suggesting to people who are grieving. Don't ask them to make something beautiful or find something to be thankful for in that moment. You know, we'll come there when we get there. One day I'm going to meet Oprah and she's going to be like, you've been smack talking me for years, but it has <laughs> this, it has this, um, I don't know, like, like Oprah element to it of, you know, if I just give you the right lavender sash, it's, yeah. you know, and you take enough deep hot water baths. that you you won't have, you know, you can just self-care the shit out of it. Yeah. And instead of saying what, again, I think micro Joyce says, which is you might as well take a warm bath. Yeah. Like a lavender sachet. If that's going to give you a little moment, that's it. Enjoy the smell of lavender. You might as well. I'm saying Why hold not? this while you hold that. And I need to just say, I love the Oprah. So do not slam the Oprah on our I love session. Oprah. Oh my, my God. Goodness. I love her. But I've been blaming her. I've been blaming her for this. Oh, that hurt. Yeah. No, we're not. We're not here to. Um, I feel like she would take it. (laughs) No, I'm not here to listen. I know you're not. I know you're not. But but I I do think there is sort of like a pop culture, like three steps to feeling better. Yes. Idea. Five ways to grieve. And the recipes for everything. It's like everyone has figured. Even the idea of using the language of try this read 
that to me, which is why I was like, we've got to change this language because, you know, think about every article from every magazine. It's like five ways you can do this, three ways you can do this. The one thing that'll change your life. It's like, look, if if all of you people have figured it out, we'd be very different people today. So let's just agree that we, none of us know how to do this perfectly. You know, you do such a beautiful job. I think of covering all the things that are that sort of get dragged a little in the experience of compound loss, right? Like you talk about your body changing and having to embrace that. You talk about your relationships with friends and choosing perspectives around that. When you're looking across sort of like what 2020 handed you on a plate, is there one that you look at now and think this one's still really in my hands? Like this one is the hard one that I find myself tagging back to, or is it popcorn? Do you find that they're all sort of equally in their own right, hard or challenging? You know, something that somebody asked me recently at a book event, and it didn't occur to me until then, you know, they were talking about perspective and how I seem to have this wisdom around relationships and the ability to accept and forgive. The one thing that I have not forgiven is the friend who disappeared in the midst of this. Yeah. I've not forgiven her. I've written about it a tiny bit in the book, but this is someone who I thought would be there always. Yeah. And so though I've accepted and this is a loss that I forgot to mention at the beginning of right. our call, um, right. though I've accepted it, I certainly haven't forgiven her. And that's just work. I, it's not work. I'm going to force on myself. I'm like, I'll get there when I get right. there. You know, we're hitting all the, all the hot topics because you know, who wouldn't want to experience gratitude? Like, yeah, oh, I would love that. Yeah. And also who wouldn't want to be able to forgive. Yeah. Right especially when my concrete thinking can see a perspective and be like, well, I mean, I get, you know, it's probably hard. Yeah. But I think you are nailing it. There are these residual leftover secondary losses that linger with us in ways that we don't necessarily talk about. And maybe it's not that they're more impactful than the traumatic losses and, and the significant losses, but they are sometimes what's in our hand. Yeah all day long. And I think that's real. I think we don't talk enough about friendship in general and how it's something we have to do intentionally, like, like being in a marriage or like having a business, you know, you got to do that shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You got to do it. And why in the world wouldn't we expect that our dress list is going to shift the way it does in all the things. When I got married, I lost friends when I had to change jobs or move cities. But when you're already experiencing five plates of loss, to add, like, are you kidding? I get a six one on top of this. Yeah. And, and this is apparently quite common. I mean, you'd know better than I would, but the idea of losing someone again, you know, I think our culture is one where we, it seems from Instagram and social media that all of your friends show up for you when you lose someone in reality, they're human beings, right? Mm-hmm. And some people have the capacity to be there for you. And some people don't. And so this, this sort of storyline that we've been given that everyone's going to show up for you with a casserole dish is so unrealistic. And it doesn't mean that that's an easy pill to swallow when you are the griever. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's an easy pill for the other person to swallow who can't be there for you. And this is not about me wanting to give empathy to everyone, though. I love the empathy. Don't get me wrong. You know, I have not forgiven this friend. Um, and I also think that this was difficult for her. Yeah, that's right. You know, both of those things are true and complicated and complex. And I had a really good friend, someone I talked to, you know, once a week, who's been a friend for a million years Mm. since high school and his dad was dying and he was posting pictures of his dad on his Instagram account. We've talked about this by the way. So, sure, hey buddy, sure. I know you're listening out there and he we've had this conversation. I don't talk about stuff that I haven't talked about with my friend. Um, but so he was posting pictures of his dad's hands. I mean, beautiful photos. He's a he's a bit of a photographer and he called me one day. And every time he posted a picture, I was like, "Oh shit." Cuz it would pull me back into sitting next to my dad. And he called me one day because we have an old, deep friendship. And that guy's done a lot of therapy. He was like, why is it that my dear friend of 26 years 
who is a literal grief and loss expert is not calling me to ask me how Mm. am I doing? And I was like, oh shit. So I just, I'm offering that because Mm. sometimes we're just as human as the most deep aspect of humanity at the core of the core. No one is above the kind of thing that Cindy and I are talking about, which is being a disappointment to someone else who needed it in a way. And we can't get there. I was very lucky that he, now I knew, I knew I was avoiding him and I had, I already had some energy about it. I knew, but I don't know that I would have been the better person to rise up and say something. Um, And of course he gave me grace because I was like, look, it's just really tough. You know, it's mm-hmm. tough on me. And he was like, I'm glad you told me. Mm. Right. What, and, uh, what a gift. What a I, gift of your friendship for yeah, him to share that with normal. you. He's, uh, but, uh, he's but, not normal. <laughs> he's not normal. And I will say, and I've talked to um, my friend, Christy Tate, who wrote a beautiful book called BFF, which is about mm-hmm. female friendships mm-hmm. and death, mm-hmm. losing a friend. She and I have talked and I, I've got a bunch of folks out there where I don't need to forgive. Yeah. I, I, there's no pain in it. But it's right. it, but it they are lingering out there in their unfinished state. We didn't have a come to Jesus moment and say, like, it's okay, we're not really friends anymore. But right, right? but it's but been don't we want that? <laughs> like, yeah. I want that. I was like, why didn't she go? Why couldn't we talk about it? You know, but we don't always get that. Certainly, as a therapist, I have the opposite where people are like, we're not going to talk about that, just head down, keep going. And I'm like, mm. we have to talk about everything. Yeah. We have to be fully embodied in our knowing. Gotta be in this. <laughs> and one of the things that I really have discovered in grief is I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like yeah, that yeah. <laughs> sounds like a lot of work and maybe yeah. I'm not, maybe I want to take the limited amount of energy that I have yeah. and sort of refocus. Yeah. So we're in 2023. I want to ask you about your health is your, yes. yeah. Cause I know that that diagnosis was the last of the bits and how yeah. are you doing with, with all of that? I'm so great. My boobs are great. My life is great. <gasps> I mean, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, thank you for asking. I'm actually doing very well. Um, we went back in, gosh, I don't know what month we're in, but it was December to get a full and complete checkup and I'm doing great. I'm doing wonderful. Thank God for that. I'll tell you seriously. I just remember when I was diagnosed, I went, is this fucking joke? Yeah. Like, am I? Am I allowed to say? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We say all the words. It's too late, isn't it? Because I've it's too late. Yeah, yeah. It's too late late. to put that back in the box. We like all the Uh, words. It was. It was literally like, is this a joke? Like, how? How is this? How is this happening right now? And then also, kind of in hindsight, saying, what a gift that it happened when it did, because then I couldn't overthink it. I just did the thing that needed to be done when you get a diagnosis. Just add add it. Add it to the list. Add it to the list, and then we're just gonna. That's it. But you know, wisdom. Have there been people in your community who have given their experiences of grief and loss to you to borrow from? Have they taught you new ways that wouldn't have been instinctive to you? I'm always curious about the way in which we can show up for each other or have they done something, you know, came over cooked. I had, a, yeah. everybody knows who listens to this podcast. I had a friend send me a pair of like pale pink Adidas sneakers when my dad oh. died that said, you know, death sucks. These sneakers don't. And I just, right. And, and to me, I'm like more of that, please. Like on a regular, I just love that. Like talk about a micro joy. Do you have, so good. Was your community able to add to your experience with those things? Yeah. Yeah. You know, first of all, I'll say that right after my mom passed, I didn't want to talk to anybody who hadn't lost their mom. Yes. You know, like it was so, I was very close to my mom, which I talk about in the book. Um, And I remember sitting down with a girlfriend, probably within the two months after my mom passed, we were sitting outside in New York city, having a cocktail. It was kind of chilly outside. And she said, Cindy, you don't have to do anything. Right. You don't have to do anything. And it was the conversation that will always stand out to me is she gave me permission to feel how I felt. Mm. And, and at the end of our conversation, when we were parting ways, she said, I feel like it is my privilege. Cause I was thanking her profusely, you know? And she said, I feel like it is my privilege to share this with you as someone who's been through it. 
And, and I have felt ever since, you know, when I hear that someone has lost their mom, it's not my job to fix anything, right? But I want you to know that I see you and that I'm here if you want to talk about your person. Um, if you need an ear, I'm here for it, but that that's it, right? Like what, what Christy taught me was that I would show up how I could and that was enough. And that when and if the time came that I felt like I could be there for other people, that too may be my privilege. Um, mm. And something that was really quite tangible was a friend who sent ice cream. She sent Jenny's oh, ice cream. You can okay. order it. It was six pints of ice cream. I don't even love sweet things. Yeah. It was one of the most generous gifts that I'd received because it pulled, again, it pulled me out. Yeah. I didn't have to do anything, right? It showed up at my door. It pulled me out of everything I was going through and it just was so delightful. Like who thinks to send, it's not a casserole. It's not a dinner, it's ice cream. And it's six pints of really lovely ice cream. Um, So that was really beautiful. The other thing that I thought was so helpful was when friends would send me terrible memes, just (laughs) drop them, like just text them to me, like just stupid stuff or cats doing dumb things because they didn't have to say anything, right? They didn't have, they knew that I was sad. They knew what I was going through. They knew that if I wanted to talk about it, I would, but really all I wanted was to laugh. And there were these moments that folks just did the silliest things like that, that I have such gratitude for in hindsight that I'm so grateful that they did. And I think the lesson in that is really that People don't always need meals to feel right. taken care of. We love, I love food, right? Look, we don't, yeah. Good. yeah, it's just me and my husband and our cats. There's only yeah. so much food I can take. And I love the idea of meals. So don't get me wrong, but sometimes it's the simplest things, you know, a card that is a joke. <laughs> you and I both, both, I hadn't noticed this before, but I'm going to say it. You and I both are highlighting, I think the same thing, mm. which is pleasure actually, which is yeah. joy right? Like those sneakers, every time I put them on, I'm like, God, I felt seen and known in that moment. Like, yes, I didn't need any more help. And and again, I think about this in trauma. We do all this heavy work as therapists to help people move through these feelings, but we can't forget then to offer them other feelings to say, now that you've unburdened Mm. yourself of all this hard stuff, what do you want to feel instead? Mm. And, you know, ice cream is like cold and full of fat. It's amazing on the tongue. Like what yes. a feeling it's sweet. And there's basically no nutritional value in ice cream. I Zero. Mean, it's and there. Wants nutrition when you're enjoyed. Yes. I had this thing yes. during the pandemic. <laughs> Many of my clients are people who were living alone during that time. Mm. And at the end, sort of last 10 minutes of every session, I would say something like, and what are you doing? That's bringing you joy. What are you doing? That's high energy. Cause I think of joy as having a pop of energy. And I, I mean, if any of them are listening, I know some of them are, they're going to start laughing. I was like, so I want you to go on Amazon and yeah. get the two pack of disco light bulbs that you put <laughs> into your regular lamp. And if people were living with people, I'm like, do it as a surprise. Just leave yes. it there. When the person turns on the lamp, no one can keep a straight face when all of a sudden well, it's purple rotating. <laughs> and it's, but also it just, it's a sensory experience that yeah. those flecks of color, like it makes you want to turn on music. It makes you want to turn yes. on ABBA. And we are holding all this heavy and hard inside our body. And your concept of micro joy is how do we shift so that we don't have to feel, you have to feel that. Yes. What if we don't have to feel just that for a couple of minutes? What if we could feel both things at the same time, right? What if we're holding them in in the same hand even? How, like, what does it look like to not only feel the sadness and the grief and the sorrow, even though you are in the middle of it. And, and I think that, I hope that that is what folks walk away from reading this book, really understanding, which is that you can hold many things at once. And again, it's like, you will build the capacity for it when you need to trust that it is there and you can hold more than one feeling, eat the ice cream, wear the pink sneakers, like do those things. It's not going to change what is right? This isn't a promise of a better way. It's simply saying that this is another way. Yeah. 
that this will help yeah. us through. And I can't imagine there's anybody listening to a podcast called grief is my side hustle just for the hell of it. So right. you know, <laughs> for, for fun, people are listening to this because <laughs> they're grieving. And I want to acknowledge that it is actually probably a practice to pursue yeah. joy that for some people, particularly folks who've grown up with bleak childhoods or lots of hardship, yep. or lots of loss, that the notion of like, just knowing how you're going to find joy, but yeah. that's why I really like to borrow it from other people. Mm. I really like to say to people like, I am available, but I can't tell you what to do. Yeah. You know, be creative that, that I'm not particularly artistic, but I love to be invited into art. I love music that when people share a playlist with me, which actually mm -hmm. happens all the time, people yes. send music, their high energy music that they listen to in grief. And I mean, I am here for it. I love yes. those Spotify <laughs> playlists. Can I ask, we, it's not, well, I'm going to ask it. What about the Just relationship with anger? Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that word? Where does that fall into grief for you? Because your book is micro joy. You, mm -hmm. your background is joyful. Your face is joyful. We're laughing. We're talking about joy, but I know that there is reactivity and anger yeah. in, in grief. So where is that? What do you think about that? Where does that land for you? Oh, I love anger. Yes. I love anger, right? Experiencing joy and sharing joy doesn't mean that you don't feel anger. Again, we're holding both things at once. There were moments when I would come into this office space that has the most beautiful energy at two in the morning because I didn't want to wake my husband up. I would come in here and I would bawl and I would yell at my mom. Now I'm a grown ass woman on my knees in my office yelling at my mom again, I don't know why we feel badly about being angry, but to me, it too was, was a tool for me to help move through that, move through everything I was going. I was so angry. I am never not going to be angry that my nephew was murdered. That's never. Right. And I'm not trying to not be angry. And I don't know if that happens one day, maybe I'm here for it. I don't know. But to me, anger is a towards movement. Mm -hmm. It allows us to move forward, to take action, to do something where we can. Uh, and the idea that joy is the opposite or somehow because I can feel joy means that I shouldn't be angry is absurd. So no, I'm a big proponent of anger. Please be angry. Be angry if you it. need to and learn how to channel that. Thank you for answering it because I think when you are, and again, I think one of the things that your book does without coming out heavy handed is say, you can just trust yourself with all your feelings yeah. and here are some practices that you can try to let yourself be in those feelings and those feelings are going to shift, but people generally talk about feeling really dysregulated by the amount of anger that can be in their system. And if you think of it as just energy, like you just described, you're going to move through it. It's not going to destroy your love for your mother to be angry at her, yeah, but yeah. it's inside your system. So how do we get it out? Yeah. And I think sometimes joy or laughter, right? Like, God, I love funny things. We, yeah. we, my siblings and I got together, um, to go through the very last of my mom's jewelry mm. two weeks ago in New York city. And I anticipated that it was going to be heavy. I forgot to anticipate that it was going to be hysterical. Mm. I came back from that because my siblings are hysterical and we were, yes, we were raised to laugh. Yeah. Um, and we did, we laughed at my parents. We laughed at my mother and the crazy jewelry that she left behind. We <laughs> laughed at my dad. We laughed and laughed. And that to me almost feels like a life raft underneath yeah. because then there was stuff that we had to be angry about. And there was stuff that we have been angry about. And I think if we can say all the feelings are safe, if you're safe with them, mm. right? Oh, that was good. Oh, look at me. See? Oh, that's good. Call Oprah. That's a, that's an aha moment. That's an aha moment. That was an aha moment. All the feelings are safe. If you're safe with it. Oh, that was good. Yeah. That is one of the things that is such a through line in your book is that you're not doing it wrong. And that you are really encouraging your system to just embrace the whole like panoply full rainbow spectrum of emotion. Yes. I really do love the, here are the things that you could just take a look at, wonder about, yeah, you know, put in your perspective on your dashboard 
I mean, I really was like, where is there a place that I can go with that smells really good? Mm-hmm. Right after I read the chapter, I was like, oh, that reminds me of France where they have these kind of spice places and where in Washington, D.C.? Hop on a plane. Yeah. Well, I could probably go to Atlanteism. <laughs> all the tea. No, you, have, you have spice places in D.C. There's a black owned yeah. spice shop. We do actually, it's just a little far from me, but walk straight down 18th street. There's like Ethiopian restaurants that are sell the little, you know, I know. Okay. So one, one last question before I let you go, cause I want to talk to you forever. I want to know a little bit about like for right now in these, in these days and times, how do you end up feeling yourself miss your mom or your nephew you know, how do you experience from 2020 to today? Is it the same? Is it different? But how does it show up? You know, I have allowed my relationship with them to evolve. Yeah, you do. I talk to them. I have pictures. I mean, there's a picture of my nephew here. There's a picture of my mom there. There's a picture of my mom there. There's pictures of everybody there. I have very real, tangible relationships with my nephew and my mom. I talk to them aloud and I understand that that's not for everybody. Um, I ask my mom questions. And again, maybe this is just me needing to still be connected, but it allows me to move through my days to know that I still have a relationship with them. They are not physically here, but they are here. And I feel that they are here. Um, So I haven't, I'm never going to stop grieving them. Yeah. Like that feeling that missing them is always going to be there, but I have very much nurtured a continual relationship with them, you know? And for me, it's about like, my mom is my screensaver. There are lots of brightly colored things I can have, but for right now, and again, everything I'm saying is true in this moment, but it may not be true a week from now or a year from now. But yeah, so I've continued to nurture those relationships with my people. They're here. That, see, this is where you're like instinctively ingenious and you do in that chapter, you do such a nice job of like, hey, listen, this isn't for everybody. So if you're not able to do this and this isn't right for you and it's not where it lands, fine. And I really appreciate that because I find that really tricky, even though I would love to, I am not somebody that's like, oh, mom, look, yes. there's something, um, even though I've been encouraged to, and I think about it a lot and I do try to practice it, I find it really hard. Yeah. And the way that I end up missing her is when things happen that she would have loved to have had a nine hour phone call about, I'm like, mm. how are you? Like mm. you, you would make this moment better. But, but there's a grief theory, which is called continuing bonds, which is exactly this, which is, which is that when we're moving from active grief into learning to carry grief, it's actually, I mean, it's just a lovely notion, which is like you transform your relationship with a living person into an active present, not just the memory of them. Yes. But an active, you know who they are. You can embody who they are. You might not know everything that they would say or what they would do, but you can carry them and your active understanding of them with you. And that's the notion behind continuing bonds. So maybe even without knowing that you invented it. Writing that down. Yeah, right. Writing that down right now. It's Dennis Kloss, K-L-A-S-S which is really lovely. And there's another, you know, there are a lot of grief theories. I I don't know that I, I think grief theory is great for psychoeducation. I'm not sure it's, it's um, informing the world as what to do. I think it's more sort of telling us what we already do. There's Mm -hmm. another one. There's another one, which is called the dual process model, which is also what is you sitting here. I'm in class right now. I'm in class. Well, the dual, but you, again, like your book is the dual process model. The dual process model basically says you're going to spend some time grieving. Yeah. And then the pendulum's going to swing and you're going to move more towards restoration and living life mm. that you're not failing when you swing back into grieving, right. that you're going right. to do that for the rest of your life. And that it's not always going to feel the way that it feels to grieve right now, the same way that like, however you're living your life, isn't going to feel. That's right. That's right. Oh, I love that you have all of the language behind it. We're studying it, but you give us, it's like a map. I could teach a class from your book. Ah. Uh that says, Hey, here's all the modern grief theory and all the ways in which people can grieve and all the way taught by Cindy Spiegel, who yes. did not intentionally teach us, but intuitive. I think we're about to create a new workshop. There we go. I'm hearing just right now. Way. I'll just give you the anecdotes. Take care of all the good stuff. This was, this was such a delight having this conversation with you. I because, told you I was looking forward to it, man. Uh, 
Oh my, I mean, first you did, you did bash Oprah a little bit. So I'm sad about that, but outside of that, it's okay. We can still be friends, but I mean, honestly, just to hear, hear my words through your lens is so profound to me. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. You know, when I first started, when I was a griever and I was picking up books, I mostly threw them across the room. They like personally Mm. betrayed me over and over. (laughs) And now that I'm more regulated and, you know, do more of my own writing and talking, I am so deeply grateful. Anytime Mm. anybody sits their butt in a chair to create something, it doesn't even have to be a book and says, you can engage with my grief story in this way. And there's wisdom in it because we're all grief experts once we've been grieving That's and you it. take from it. And I just feel like, oh my God, this book covered the whole thing. Like she covered mm. all the things. Like this grief <laughs> loss 101 in this book. Uh, and I'm just really, really grateful for it. I'm grateful to know you. I knew I was going to love you because again, yeah. I'm stalking you. I just love this book. I think you did a gorgeous oh. job. And I, I, I really appreciate you using your writing skill as part of your way of managing your grief and then offering that out mm. to the rest of us. Like how amazing that we get to benefit from that. Just Thank awesome. you for saying that. This, it, it was one of those, things, this wasn't necessarily meant to, again, it's just my life, you know, but I, I think sometimes in doing what we do naturally, the hope ultimately yeah. is if we can support somebody else moving through what they are, how much, how much more beautiful for it. The, the one thing I said to somebody the other day, she said, Oh my God, so-and-so just lost someone. I'm going to get them this book. I said, please don't. No, no, no. Don't do that. Please do not do not sully micro joys uh-huh. and do not sully their grief. No. Like let no. them, let them go through what they are in. And okay. when the time is right, you can gift them this book, but please don't allow this to be the thing that you know, you I sort say of say that all on. the time when, cause people call and they're like, this person had a tragedy and they need a therapist. I'm like, they will need a therapist in four months. Do not yes. like, leave right, them alone <laughs> right now. They're like man yeah. overboard. They need, like, they're wet and they're hungry and they're yes. in a current and we just need to, them not to drown. Yeah. Like throwing a book at them is not going to, not, not the answer. Not even a really cute book. Oh, yeah. That's exactly right. Cute. Like don't, don't do it. it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, yeah. So thank you. This thank you. Such, thank such you for joy. your time today. This was so wonderful. We and really are friends now. I wasn't yeah, kidding. Fantastic and excellent. Wonderful <laughs> rest of your day. Thank, thank you so much for this. And we'll just thank stay you. in touch. Thanks You're just coming. a delight. Okay. So I need you to know that this episode that you're about to listen to is one of my favorites. I was really surprised by Cindy Spiegel's book. I absolutely adored it. I um, think I knew that I was going to like it, but I liked it so much more 